Good morning, brothers and sisters. I am thankful this morning that we are gathered together today uh, to worship our great living God. I encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 7 through 8. So yeah, if you want to go ahead and turn there, that would be great. Now, one of my, one of my favorite events that we do at the church, uh, we had just a couple of weeks ago. Um, many of you came to it, and it's called the Chili Cook-Off Carnival, right? And every year, uh, you know, especially this year is no different. We, had, we have lots of chilies. I think this year we had something like 25 chilies. And every year I'm always amazed at the variety of flavors that come essentially from the same ingredients. And there's different styles and different types, and they're, they're all delicious in different ways. Each of these dishes is clearly chili, but no two chilies are exactly alike. You know, it's these different flavors and these different proportions of them that that makes this event so enjoyable. But could you imagine going to a cook-off where every pot was exactly the same? You know, you got 25 in a row and you're like, hey, how was 24? Just like 22. How about about number seven? Yeah, it's just like one and two and three and, and four, two. All the same, nobody would want to go to a chili cook-off, right? Like, you'd just be sick of the same thing. What would you be missing if that were true? You see, for the last two weeks, we've, we've heard messages about how the church is made up of a unified people. We're people who have been redeemed by our Savior Jesus. We've been called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, eager to maintain the unity uh, of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We have one identity. We're united in one hope, one confession, and ultimately one Lord. But our unity in these core truths do not equal uniformity in how we experience or express the grace of God that's been given to us. Salvation, thankfully, doesn't just make us clones of one another. But instead, we hear that God has gifted each believer in such a way as to make the whole of the church stronger, healthier, and ultimately more effective in fulfilling its purpose. And so today, as we spend time in verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians 4, we're going to see this main idea, that God's grace has been given to each one of us. And in that sense, His grace is manifest in the gifts that He gives to us. But God's grace is given to each of us for the good of the church and for the glory of God. It's my hope today, as we, as we think about how that is true in our lives, then that would also really happen. It would be the result that the church would be healthier and that we would be a people who praise and glorify God, not just with our words, but in every way. And so let's ask the Lord to help us do that. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that we get to spend time in uh, Ephesians talking about the ways in which you have poured out grace to us in the form of gifts. Lord, would you help us to see that being good Father, would you help us to be encouraged where we need to be encouraged, challenged, Lord, where there's places of of sin and places where we might rebel against you. And ultimately, I pray that we would be a people who are united, expressing the diverse gifts you'd give us for our good and for your glory. Thank you, Father. Please lead us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got your Bibles open, uh, we're actually going to read Ephesians 4, uh, starting in verse 7, but I'm going to go through... Uh, verse 17, just to give you a little bit of, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13, to give you some context, because he's, he's kind of changing his thought where he's talking about unity and, and some other stuff in verses 1 through 6. Here he's going to be talking about um, the gifts and, and diversity there. So 
starting in verse 7. By gra- but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he also descended into the lower regions of the earth, the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so I want you to, as we get started, I want you to just take a uh, look around the sanctuary for just a second. I want you to look to your left and right. I want you to look up into the, maybe the balcony, balcony, you can look down. But as we, as we look around the church, we cannot help but to rejoice in the amazing work that God has done in bringing us together today to worship him as a unified people. No matter who we were or where we came from, no matter our past sins or our current struggles, Christ has done a miracle in making us one people who are united under his headship. We share a kinship and a love that is deeper than blood and lasts longer than the grave. And what's amazing is we're not just unified in this one building, but we are unified as Christian brothers and sisters across our community and across the country and even across the world. All around the the world today, this Lord's Day, the church with a capital C lifts one unified voice to praise and glorify our King. We are a unified people. But even as that is true, verse 7 and 8 turn our attention to another reality that is true for us this morning. Namely, that even as we are unified, each one of us have been gifted in different ways to serve the church and to make God's name great. We've been gifted in such a way that we're able to to serve and and help the church in, in different ways, but also to proclaim the glories of our Savior. And so as we look at verse 7, Paul says this, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. At the outset of this verse, Paul tells us that grace was given to each one of us. Grace was given to us, and, and everyone there is, is, are people that are Christians. And it says that this is done by Jesus. And so when Paul says that grace is given, he's using this phrase in a similar way that he also speaks about it in Romans 12, verse 6 where he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So the grace that God manifests to us is by him giving gifts to us. Grace and gifts are linked together. So when it says he gives grace, we also see that he gives gifts to us by his grace. That's what it's talking about in verse 7. So Paul's encouraging us, though, that we, even though we're united, each person of the body has been a recipient of these gifts to serve Jesus. Peter also agrees with this. He says this in 1 Peter 4, chapter 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You see that connection again, grace and gifts going together. And here where Peter says God's varied grace, it means multicolored, 
multifaceted. It's the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians 3.10 where he's talking about the manifold wisdom of God. And so here the gifts that are given are numerous. They show different facets of God's goodness and his grace. They help us to see the multicolored dimensions of it. As we see God's grace poured out in us and, and through us, we can see different aspects of what our God is like. It helps us to see his beauty more. And as we look down to verse 8 um, in this section, verse 8 is a, is a quotation from Psalm 68, verse 18. And in that psalm, we see a picture of God defeating his enemies and leading those enemies to Mount Zion in a victory procession as he goes there. And Paul says here, as he's quoting it, that Jesus is the one that leads this procession. He's telling us that Jesus is the Lord. He is the one who has defeated every foe. He is the one who leads conquered enemies in this procession to his throne. And out of the spoils of this victory, Jesus gives good gifts to the church. The amazing thing is, we were also rebels. We were the ones who rejected and hated him by our sin. And yet through his blood, he redeems us as a people. He leads us in a procession of joy and he gives good gifts to us. You see, Jesus has given gifts to his followers as an outflow of his victory over sin and death and Satan. He shares his spoils with us because he loves us. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, you have been given gifts by God. Paul's teaching here is very clear. This means that everyone has an important role to play within the church. You are a vital part in making this body function well, even if you don't feel like you have much to contribute. See, this is part of the beauty of the body of Christ. There's not one member who's more important than the other. We might have different gifts or different proportions of those gifts poured out on us. Those gifts are almost always meant to be used together with others. One of my favorite kind of movies to watch is a, is a heist movie, a movie where, you know, there's a group trying to, um, you know, accomplish some kind of mission. You know, whether they're trying to break into a bank uh, or they're trying to, like, break into some kind of government facility. Maybe they're trying to rescue somebody or, or get secrets or, or whatever. You know, they're always trying to form a team to go after a specific purpose. And in particular, you know, heist movies are really good because of the diverse crew that, that's made up here, right? So you've always got someone that's like the, the brains of the operation, the ones that come up with the task, like this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it. But you don't just want the brain guy, you also want the muscle, right? You need the, you need the strong guy. Not just that, you need a getaway driver. And you need the techie person, the one that's able to, you know, disable the cameras and help you get in the electric, you know, gates or whatever else you need to get through. You've probably got a safe cracker on your team to make sure you can get into that lockbox. And, and also you need the inside man, right? You need somebody that can get you access into the place that you need to go. All these members work together to accomplish a job that they couldn't do on their own. Each person plays a part. And if they don't, the whole team fails. The whole proposition falls apart. So you see, the gifts are meant to be expressed just like in that example in a community of believers, not alone. The gifts God gives us are meant to be used together. So just think about it for a minute. What would, what would gifts of teaching be if there was no one to be taught? You know, what would gifts of evangelism be if you had no one to share a message with? Or gifts of healing be if there was no one that was hurting or sick or that you could minister to? 
What good would gifts of service be if there was no one being served? These gifts are meant to be used together with one another. And as we think about ourselves using our gifts, I think it's easier for us to recognize our need of other people. I think it's easy for us to see that because we know our own weaknesses, don't we? We know how helpful the wisdom of various brothers and sisters are when when we walk foolish or hard paths, when we struggle with direction or, or failure, when we're running headlong into sin and they help call us back with a word of truth, when we're walking through a bad medical diagnosis or we're staring death in the face, maybe in the, in the life of a loved one, we understand need of others in those situations. You know, we've been strengthened from the past prayers of others when we are exhausted, when we feel frustrated by our sin, when we're overcome with grief, when we feel like we're at a loss and we're, we're shaken, these prayers of others give us hope in the midst of those circumstances. You know, it's easy for us to see that, see our need of others. When, when we've been embraced, when we're in the throes of fear or when we're in the deep depression or in the, in the you know, following the downward spiral of anxiety and someone comes up and they, and they put their arm around you or they reach down and, and pull you up and say, Christ loves you. And I love you. And he's going to be with you in the midst of this too. As we come alongside and help each other see what is true. We understand our need of others when we've benefited from the teaching of others. Whether it's through you know, equipping classes or, or growth groups or, or Sunday mornings. But it's not just there. It's also in those one-on-one times when you're sitting across the table with each other. Sharing what's going on in your lives and you're praying for one another and exhorting each other in the truth. We, we understand our need of each other. But do you realize that the body of Christ in general, and River Oaks in particular, needs you? God has gifted you to make us as a people stronger, to make us more faithful, to help us to be better equipped for the work that he has for us. Just think about this. We need your wisdom in growth groups. We need you speaking the truth out of the things that you've experienced to those that are walking through difficult situations or joyful situations. We need your gifts of compassion to help those that are hurting. We need your gift of giving to help us have a greater reach as a church as we desire to to minister here, but also in other places too. We need your zeal and your passion coming behind people, pushing them on, encouraging them toward the work that God has for them. We need your faith in Christ to call us to lift our eyes to our King. We need those of you with the gifts of evangelism to go out from our body, to make disciples of all nations wherever Christ might send you. We need people willing to go. We need those with gifts of administration to help and organize and encourage People that aren't great at administration, right? We need you. The church needs you. And Christ has equipped you for this calling. But maybe you find yourself here today and you say, man, I have no idea how Christ would want to use me. I'm, I'm the needy one. I'm the one that's always asking 
for help. Always needing prayer. I'm not sure how Christ could use me. Let me encourage you. While it may feel discouraging to be the one in need, it also is a blessing to the church in that it allows the church to come alongside you, not just to encourage you, but to use their giftings in a way that's encouraging to the person serving. For it is joyful for us to be able to live out of the callings that Christ puts on us. So if we have gifts of hospitality, it's joyful to be able to use those in ways that would be good or whatever the gifting is. So it's not just a way that the church can bless you, but you end up being a blessing to the church in your suffering, in your struggle. All the more we need you as you're pointing in faith to Christ in the midst of your struggle. We need to see that as a gift. It is a gift of God that you are clinging to him no matter your circumstances. It's not just that, though. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. I love this passage. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So even if you are in a season, or maybe it feels like an extremely long season of suffering and need, and you can be confident, that God is equipping you to share that same comfort that you have received from Christ with those that are suffering as well. Your hope can encourage those who are having trouble seeing it. And if you can't do anything else but just point, you know, serve as a continual pointer to the faithfulness of our God, you say, I don't, I don't know much, but I know that he is good and he is faithful and he is true and he is mighty and he can deliver. And you just continue to point the faithfulness of God in the midst of your struggles, that is good for the church. But not just there. Maybe you don't know what your gifting is. Maybe you really want to know what your gifting is, but you're not sure how to know. Like, I'm eager to serve. I'm eager to use the gifts. I just don't know where, where I'm gifted. Well, let me encourage you. It's a great place to find out is also within community. You know, whether it's in your growth groups or if there's a, you know, wise brother or sister that you know that you can go and talk to, ask them a question. Where, where do you see that I've been gifted by God to serve? What are, what are the things that you notice, things that are admirable, things that are good? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what I'm even looking for. Can you help me see it? But not just there, not just should you ask others, but also we can go to the Scriptures, In the New Testament, there's places such as Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, which list out various gifts. And we can look at those and we can see if any of those seem consistent with our passions and our abilities in the way that God seems to have made us. Lastly, you can also pray. You can ask God for discernment from the Holy Spirit to help reveal those to you. Lord, where is it that you've gifted me? How do you desire me to serve? We can pray and God will give us wisdom through the Spirit to be able to understand those things. So all these things are, are, are good in that sense. One of the things we also see implied in this passage, it's not directly said, but it's implied, is that not everyone has all things, and that is also good. You know, this means that each of us individually cannot do the entire work of the church. And the work of the church doesn't just depend upon one person. Not a pastor, 
not just one elder, not just any Sunday school teacher. It depends upon us all working together. So each person has an important role to play within the church. We can't just say to one another that we don't need you. In fact, Paul explicitly says we can't say that in Romans 12, 21 and 22, where he says, I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Think about that. Maybe those places that you think are the least valuable gifts are the most indispensable for the church. The ones that God is using the most in such a way to bring glory to him. That's, a, that's amazing. And so there is a tremendous dignity in all of our callings and in our diversity as a body as we've been equipped by him with these gifts. God hasn't only gifted us with specific gifts, but he's made each of us unique in having different personalities, different abilities, and also different experiences which we walk through. All of these shape us to be effective ministers of the gospel, to be able to help one another, you know, as we're walking along this path. Each of us has a part to play in our local church, from greeting to showing hospitality, from encouraging and exhorting to praying for one another and weeping with those that are hurting. That is a, is a helpful and good ministry. Brothers and sisters, there's a regular need for gifts of service and administration and compassion. All of these are ways to serve the Lord. We all benefit from the gifts of worship and giving each week, but we also benefit by others who are investing in teaching and equipping the next generation to be mature and strong. I am so thankful that, that many of you are working with the elderly and the incarcerated to point them to the eternal hope that they have in Christ, and you do it weekly and regularly with joy. And many of you are sharing in your growth group how Christ has been working in your home, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your school, in these various places that you go. You're continuing to encourage one another with what God is doing. Therefore, all of these gifts should be celebrated. And we're to celebrate the giving and the using of these gifts of grace. Brian Chapel puts it this way. He says, and I think I have it up on the screen, I do. We gain fresh and tender appreciation of the Savior and about those uh, and about us when we see the variety of the gifts is an expression of the great generosity of Jesus. In this variety, he is sharing more of himself than can be contained in any one of us. This is pretty fantastic. Jesus is so magnificent that we cannot expect that any one of us could contain all of his giftings. And yet, he is so generous that he gives us such a variety of these gifts to brothers and sisters that there is not one in Christ who is forgotten. And so, brothers and sisters, we see clearly from this passage that God's grace is given to each one of us in the form of gifts for the good of the church and ultimately for the glory of God. It's, it's these grace and gifts coming together so that we would be strengthened and encouraged, but also so that we would point others to him. But there might be some places, some, some places of sin in our hearts, some places of struggle where it makes it really challenging for us to see the goodness of God's varied grace to us. It makes it hard for us to agree and think, yeah, that's right, that is good. It's good that he's doing it this way. One of the places that, um, a place of challenge that this could be is 
is a place of jealousy. You know, we might, we might desire to have gifts that others have and think that, that it would be right if we did. But this is the exhortation that we see from this passage. If the gifts of Christ are given for the building up of the body as a whole, then we don't need to be jealous of each other's gifts because all of those gifts are being expressed together in a way that it's good for you and better for, for us all. Frankly, even if you had the giftings that you, you know, so longed for from these other people, if you had them in the exact same measure, still doesn't mean that you would use them in the same way or to the same effect that those people do. You see, Satan would want nothing more than for us to say that God isn't good in his provision for us. Or he also would desire, Satan would, for us to be discouraged and not to use our gifts because we think that they're not good enough. That also is a lie. Brothers and sisters, our, our gifts should promote thankfulness and joy. But it's possible for us to become sullen, inward focused, and discouraged, even though a good gift has been given to us. You know, the gifts that God gives to us are not some, like some ill-fitting, ugly sweater or some, you know, fruitcake from some long-forgotten box that you end up getting for Christmas. And you're like, thanks, I think. Right? It's, it's not like that at all. We have a faithful and perfect Father who gives good gifts, and he gives them precisely in the way that would be best for the church and best for us individually. You may think you know what is right, what would be best. But frankly, God is wise. God is perfect and he is good. And the gifts that he gives are good for you and they're good for the church. And we can trust him, brothers and sisters. Let us remember that Jesus is so generous to us that out of the overflow of his victory, he gives these gifts. Remember, they're, they're meant to be used in context with others. Not just for, for, your, not for your glory, but for God's glory. They're not meant to be hoarded and they're not meant to be hidden in us, but nor are they to be hated in others. The reality is that God loves you and he loves his church and his gifts are good. So instead of jealousy, the right thought should be, how can I use my giftings to show the worth of Jesus? How can I use these giftings to come alongside and under others to help them be most effective for the kingdom? How can I help other people that I know and love, how can I help them to use their giftings in such a way that they are maximally thriving and it's good for, for all of us? See, there's also opportunity for thankfulness to God here. As we see God working in others, we can be people who express thanks to God for what he is doing in and through them. You know, I hope that we would be a people who affirm in others the gifts that we see because this will help kill jealousy in us and it will turn our focus outward instead of inward. You see, gifts in this context of building up the church, they're a great place to check your heart. Because the world that we live in tells us that the most important thing in the universe is you. And so it's humbling to recognize that we have been given gifts that are to be working together with one another, that we don't have everything that we need.
that we are people who need great, greatly. But also that we can acknowledge that Christ has gifted some in extraordinary ways, and this can elicit praise from us. There's freedom in this, that we can praise God for what he's doing in others in a way that we don't have to be sad. We don't have to be sullen. We don't have to be frustrated or jealous. We can celebrate because it's good for the church and it's good for the glory of God. But there's another challenge too, not just in jealousy, which we might fight, but also in pride. Maybe, maybe it's the other direction, that you are focused too much on the gifts or you think too highly of them in yourself. Though we maybe don't say it out loud, do we think that we're the only ones capable of doing a particular task for the church? And is it possible for us to think less of others because we think their, le- their gifts are lesser than ours? See, these attitudes are straight from the pit of hell. The words grace and gift in verse 7 should remind us that we did not deserve what we've received. Therefore, there's no place for pride. Paul says in verse 8 that these are gifts according to Christ's gift. They're given according to Jesus' will. They flow out of his victory and his work. He is the one that has secured them, and he freely gives them to his people based upon his faithfulness, not ours. This means... This means that he gives to us according to his riches, not our own. You know, frankly, if we're worried about what we deserve, what we should earn, if anything, we deserve death because of our sin. And yet what we receive is eternal life through our Savior, and we receive good gifts to build up one another. And so as, as we think about this, we recognize that pride and jealousy, both of these, seek to undo the unity that Christ has secured by his own blood. And there's one other challenge, too, where as we think about how this might interact with us, we might be tempted to be impatient with others, patient with others who are gifted in ways that are different than us. You know, this might bubble over into feelings of anger or frustration, or you might use the D word where, you know, I'm not upset with you, I'm just disappointed. That Paul's words should lead us to respect our differences because it's out of Christ's generosity that each one of us have our giftings. Paul shows us that we are gifted in a way to be a complement to others, to, to help each other where they are weak and vice versa, others are able to help us in our weakness. And so in that sense, impatience doesn't make sense because he's extremely patient with us. So brothers and sisters, as we look at this passage, as we recognize that, that God has given grace to us in the form of gifts and it's for the good of the church and for his glory, there's, a, there's, an, there's an exhortation in this passage that he's kind of pointing us to that I'm going to highlight for us. And if we go back to our example at the start, you know, there is something special when you're cooking and all of those ingredients come together in, in, a, in the correct proportions and in, in just the right way. You know, it's, it's got that right flavor, that right smell, that right taste, right? You know, if there's a scale of deliciousness on chili, the, the kind of low end of the scale might just be like, hmm, pretty good, right? But then there's some on the other side that as you taste it, you can't help but like words come out of your mouth. Like, this is delicious, right? Like, you're, you're like, man, this is so good. And when it's like that, what do you want to do? You want others to taste and see that it's good. You want others to come and try this that you have. In the church, God gets glory when all of our gifts come together for his purposes. 
When a people from different backgrounds and different experiences come together with one voice to praise the name of our Savior, it's a small glimpse of heaven on earth in that sense. And when we are a body serving one another and using our giftings, whether it's in the workplace or in our homes or at schools, the greatness of God is magnified. And as we experience his grace, it's something that we want to keep telling others about how good it is. I want you to come and see and taste the beauty and splendor of Christ. We invite others into the community with us, but more than that, we want them to join us in lifting praise to our great king. And so the exhortation in this passage, it's hidden in verses 7 and 8, but it's made clear in Romans 12, 6. It's this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use the gifts that God has given us. Let us, let us seek to actually apply them in our lives. These gifts that Christ has given are meant to be used. He wants us to use them. He wants us you know, to use them as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission, as we seek to build up one another so that each should be equipped for the work of the ministry, as verse 11 and 12 says. We've been given spiritual gifts by God to serve him, but these gifts aren't just meant to be kept within these walls. They're meant to be used. They're meant to be spent. They're meant to be poured out. And frankly, you are meant to be poured out for the sake of Christ. Using your gifts to glorify God and, and to, to praise his name. We are to continually use our gifts so that others would see the glory of Jesus. And we're to help so that disciples would be made and matured and ultimately that people with tremendous gifts would be sent out into the nations to make disciples. So here's the thing. There is never going to be a time in our church Never going to be a time in growth groups. Never going to be a time when we're gathering together where there's a no vacancy sign out front of the building because we don't have a place for any more people to serve. That will never happen. As we continue to grow as a church, you know, we have a desire to plant churches and to possibly expand our sanctuary to allow more people to come in. But this means if that's the case, if we're desiring to grow and we're desiring to reach out, we're desiring to serve, we need more people who are desiring to serve as teachers. We need more growth group leaders. We need more people praying. We need more people who are making coffee and who are working sound, who are folding bulletins, who are greeting people, who are praying with people, who are loving people. We need worship team people. We need support team people and a whole host of other places. We need men and women, and we need the young and then those who used to be young and maybe aren't quite so young anymore to be using all of our giftings. You see, no one should be standing by the sidelines, none, for the work that we have continues. There's much to be done. And we desire to see that each member of River Oaks would be using their giftings for the good of the church and for God's glory. Each one of us has been uniquely gifted by God to serve, to serve him. Your gifting is significant because Christ gave it to you. And he gave you to the church. 
So let us praise his name. And let us follow him in obedience and serve as you've been equipped for the glory of God and for the fulfilling of the great commission and for a joy that lasts forever. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Father God, I pray that you would help us, Lord. Lord, in our, in our weakness, I pray that you would help us. In our desires that are good, I pray that you would help us, Father, that we would be a people who are faithful, that as we depend upon Christ, as we rest uh, in you and we depend upon the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would serve out of the gifts you give us, that we would love, that we would encourage, that we would exhort, that we would challenge, that we would help in such a way that, that our church should be stronger, that the church as a whole would be stronger, and that your name would ring out from north and south and east and west, as far away as can possibly be, your name would ring out. Lord, help us as we desire to serve you in faithfulness. And lead us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.